1: What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to the Power Company Podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. This is part two of our expert conversation with Rob Gray. I highly suggest you go back and listen to part one of this conversation, but I know some of you don't really care about the limitations of research, and you just want to get on with learning to move better. I get that. You'll do yourself a favor if you go back and listen to my explanation of a few terms that we'll be using in this episode that might be new to you. You can find those by going into the chapter section in your podcast app. In Apple and Spotify, you just scroll down from the Now Playing screen. Overcast, you swipe. And Pocket Casts, there's a separate tab. And any section in the chapters that's labeled annotation is an explanation of a higher level concept that will help you out in this episode. Okay, this episode is a new format I'm going to be using this year, our expert series, talking with experts who are not directly tied to climbing but in fields that we stand to learn a lot from. And I'll be breaking in periodically to explain things a little better or relate them back to climbing in a way that makes sense. So, when you hear this sound, that's me breaking in for an annotation of some sort. Today's guest is Rob Gray. He's an associate professor at Arizona State University, host of the Perception and Action podcast, which you should absolutely listen to, and a skill acquisition specialist for the Boston Red Sox. He's also the author of two great books, How We Learn to Move and Learning to Optimize Movement. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the main principles in his book, How We Learn to Move. For my money, Rob is one of the best at translating complex subjects into terminology we can all understand. And I've gotten to ask him a lot of questions over the past couple of years about how I can use his work to become a better climbing skills coach. And you're getting a lot of those answers right here. Let's get into it.
0: It's time to build.
1: I want to kind of give people a general idea of it here and, and talk about some of the challenges I've had in, you know, fitting this framework into a sport like climbing mm-hmm. um, and some of the joys of it, frankly. But to, to start, can you sort of give us a brief uh, description of the two main theories of how we move, um, information processing and ecological dynamics?
0: Yeah, so the, the, the information processing, you know, a, a lot of people will all argue with me that I'm oversimplifying these, and there's variants. I'm, I'm and, asking
1: you to oversimplify, so blame me.
0: <laughs> the, uh, the idea is that in information processing is the idea that we kind of move by using kind of um, in models in our head. Like, So when I look at a wall, there's not kind of enough information there for me to know how to climb. Exa- how to control my movements? I need to kind of predict and process information, um, and and kind of pred- you know program my movements. So another kind of key idea in the tradition is that I have these stored movement programs for different mm-hmm. skills. And so one of the essential ideas in the in the in the information processing approach is I need to build up these programs through repetition. You need to learn the fundamental. Technique, and the alternative is, you know, I I lump into what I call the ecological approach, where um, we argue there's no w- one correct technique. Um, you, you, skill comes from self organization, and um, it involves directly picking up and adapting your movements based on information from the environment. Now that's you know we went back to the you know skill acquisition is the idea I acquire models right. and knowledge. Um, whereas in the ecological approach, you know the idea is you had, you learn to ad- adapt and have this relationship with your environment. Um, that's kind yeah, of <laughs> yeah. You
1: know, as, as you're describing it, I'm, I, I can picture climbers who are listening being able to relate to both mm-hmm. methods here, and I think a lot of that comes from the language that we have around mm-hmm. it. Um, things like muscle memory processing you know, memory in general Mm -hmm. um, and how we sort of think of it, movement working, you know, Mm -hmm. almost like we're pulling things out of some metaphorical Rolodex, you know, and like, oh, this is how I do this move. You know, in climbing in particular, we have names for these different techniques. You know, I'm going that, that situation sets me up well for a heel hook or a toe hook or a drop knee or inside flag or whatever we have all these names Mm -hmm. and by a byproduct of that is that we feel like we have this rolodex of Mm -hmm. of movements that we you know have programmed in right Mm -hmm. so i think it's tricky to wrap our heads around the ecological side at first
0: yeah no i i totally understand that and i think you know the where we kind of start with challenging that idea is like bringing up the point you brought before, the conditions are never the same, right? Mm -hmm. So do you have a role in your Rolodex for this move when it's windy, this move when the rock's slippery, this move, so you would need a Rolodex 500 miles (laughs) of this high, right? For every possible um, variant of these things, right? So, and and the Rolodex is the motor program idea, right? I have a motor program for this technique that I pull out of memory when I do so I, I and it's it another term you hear a lot is linear, uh, mm-hmm. linear pedagogy, right? Um so it's very I perceive the rock face, I decide which move to do, then I act by pulling that out of my memory. It's right. kind of and it all happens in a nice straight line uh flow. It's kind of the traditional, yeah. Um yeah, I think it, part of the reason is because we're taught. That's the way we're taught, and we kind of have this metacognition about well that's Mm -hmm. what's going on um but you know i think
1: doesn't mean that's kind of the what's happening necessarily yeah 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 i i know you started on the information processing side of things like you Mm -hmm. just said that's sort of how we learn um or how we learn about it and something caused you to switch and i'm i'm curious what
0: yeah it was really the the um at the, really, the application, right? When I, so I was doing kind of a lot of this research, and I was, you know, testing these ideas. Um, I was developing, you know, what I did, in, for example, in baseball batting, I developed kind of this internal model of how batters p- predict what the pitch was going to be. Right? They, you know, based on the count and the situation and all these, you know, what the pitcher was doing, and then I realized that if you had this internal Rolodex of all these Different techniques, how do you actually use that to to move the body parts to get that technique to work? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So once I tried so once you start to think, how do you actually use this? And because I needed to know that, like, so how do I actually use this to move the bat or or climb me? Once you start thinking about that, it it began to fall apart to me. I really realized that saying that i have a rolodex of, of moves really doesn't accomplish anything right it doesn't explain me how to how i actually control the movement it's just saying i have you know it's just kind of descriptive really so once i wanted to understand how the actual movement was controlled and be able to help people improve that it kind of i didn't really have a lot of value for me
1: i didn't see the sure value. yeah yeah, I I was definitely on the information processing side of mm-hmm. things, but more in a metaphoric sense. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't know that I ever saw it as this rigid idea of we are actually processing all of these things in mm-hmm. real time. Uh, it's just the way I talked about it. It's where, what my language yeah, was.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: And over time, through reading your book, listening to your podcast, and you know, digging into this this theory. I've realized that my methods all along, even though my language was more information processing, my methods were far more on the ecological side and the constraints-led approach. Mm -hmm. Um, Are there ways, and what are the important ways, that the coaching methods differ for the two approaches?
0: Yeah, that's, you know, there's a couple. You know, know, the one is, you know, the idea that... um, you can kind of take the build the programs at a context right so you i could build you the program for a certain climbing technique like on a simple ladder right because um, yeah. i just need you to get do the right body movements um, the right pattern of move- and i am going to tell you all the details of that and then so i you know sometimes we call this decomp- decomposition i can take the skill out of the environment Train the fundamentals or the technique, and then put it back in when you're on the rock base, and you'll be able to pull that program out and do it. Um, That's kind of the one of the the main ways. um, And the kind of the if you the information processing approach is basically the idea that your brain, kind of from the top down, is controlling everything that's going on, kind of like a puppet. It's telling you you need to extend your arm this much, you need to do this. That's basically what a motor program is, is, a, is like a, a prescription for how to move, right? I need to do this much force, this much angle, right? So it's, it's a very different view of how, how skill is done, right? Um, also, you know, and then you adapt that based on the, the conditions. So, so yeah, kind of decomposing the skill, the idea that there's one kind of correct technique Um, The idea that an athlete kind of needs to understand the movements involved, right, Um, and actual mechanics involved of it, um, Mm -hmm. all kind of fall within the, the information processing view.
1: Okay, let's consider this motor program idea for a second. The typical model for how this works is that early in learning the program, we have to spend time heavily processing it, actually thinking about it, and then eventually it becomes an automatic program that we no longer have to think about. And I'd be willing to bet that you've done a fairly novel move first try. And then when trying to explain it to someone else who's trying it, realized You aren't really sure what you did there. Uh, You might know the basic beta, but you're not sure of the path you took or, or what your body was doing. And you had to say, hold on, let me do it again and feel what I did. It happens to me all the time. And that's because when you take that move out of context, you're standing on the ground, you're not getting enough information from the environment to understand the move. But when you were on the wall and just did it, there was no motor program. You hadn't done that move before. Instead, the solution emerged as a result of the context. Now, the big problem I see with the information processing theory is that it relies on some mysterious processing that there's just no evidence of. And that leaves no room at all for doing novel things on the fly, which we all do. Often, And while understanding exactly what's happening when we're learning a move may not matter so much for the athlete, I do think that understanding it is key to effectively and efficiently coaching people to move in new ways. Some of that is really hard to um, get out of as a Mm -hmm. thought pattern, uh, particularly for climbing where – um, so I'll just, I'll explain a little bit to you about how climbing works. Um, if we want to climb something hard, we call that a red point. That means we went from the bottom to the top without falling. And essentially what that becomes is like a gymnastics or a dance routine where I'm, I'm trying to do these really specific movements to, you know, connect between these holds and these positions on the rock. And I have to do them in a certain order and, be relatively precise if it's something really hard for me um and that seems to fit into the idea that we want to repeat the same thing over and over and over Mm -hmm. um i think I, i understand why it doesn't now but at first that was a sticking point for me like i i want to repeat the same thing over and over and over um how how do you think just based on that? How do we parse that out when it's something like dance or gymnastics or climbing where we're trying to do the same thing?
0: Yeah, I guess you know the the, the fundamental idea, you know the 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 repetition without repetition idea, right? Yet, um, mm-hmm. while it seems like we to do the same thing, we want to the best way to do it would be repeat the same movement. The con, the constraints are always changing. Uh, As I, uh, the angles, the, so the task constraints, the angles, the hold size, the, um, the environmental, the weather, wind, whatever, and the individual constraints. As I get higher up, my, I'm getting tired, right? So the same, if I put the exact same force in my muscles, it wouldn't produce the same action outcome, right? Right. So the idea that I can keep using the same technique uh, under all these different changes, is not going to work, right? There's too much change going on. So I need to change with,
1: with all these changes. I need to adapt. Yeah, I, it, it took me a while to to parse that out, but I think you're exactly right. And I think, you know, to put it in terms that a lot of climbers will understand, what looks like the same movement, you know, the outcome is the same. I'm achieving the same end goal with this movement. Um, and it's, it's the same move as we call them techniques you know maybe Mm -hmm. let's say it's a, a drop knee to make this move and and i'm still doing a drop knee that's still what works in this situation but as every climber who's been on something really hard knows something will go a little wrong or a little off in one move and then as you continue climbing lots of little things have to start changing You know, Mm -hmm. maybe you're sweating a little more than you thought you were and the chalk's gone off your fingers. Um, Maybe the humidity went up, so you're slipping a little more. Maybe you pressed too hard off of that foot and, you know, overshot the hold a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, And you have to constantly be adjusting and adapting to the situation. So while it is the same technique and I'm reaching the same outcome, Internally, there are lots of different things happening every time I get to that spot.
0: Yeah. So, the, yeah, there's going to be, you know, there's some similarities, obviously, every time you do the same yeah. kind of thing. That's why we can classify the things. But the idea, you know, or else we wouldn't have climbing and baseball, right? <laughs> they, they'd be all the, <laughs> right. you know, we, we hitting and climbing would be. But um, yeah, so there's going to be some things. But yeah, the, within that, there's this kind of, you know, some functional variability. You're not, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you need to be able to do something slightly differently to react to adapt to the changing constraints.
1: Yeah, I think one of the brilliant things about climbing, and and I've seen lots of coaches actually try to get away from this, um, which I think is a mistake, is that oftentimes the way we're practicing climbing, Uh, looks a lot like climbing it's really hard to to take us out of that environment because our climbing gyms are pretty similar to what we're trying to achieve outdoors or in competitions Um, and i think as a result of like we need to make this as you know study like as possible we need to remove the variables we start to pull climbers out of the actual environment in order to, to train them and to help them practice and have them doing things like in soccer, one of the things you harp on a lot is <laughs> uh, dribbling around cones. You know, we do the climbing equivalent of that pretty often with young climbers. And I think that's a mistake when it's so easy to just put them on the wall in different scenarios. All right, let's explain some things here. We mentioned the popular drill for soccer of dribbling around cones. I bet a lot of you have done this. Um, Theoretically, that promotes better ball handling and agility. The problem here is that skills like agility and ball handling are functional and driven by information from the environment. But they're not being practiced that way in this case. There's no information from the environment to react to, no decision-making for the athlete. Not to mention, the players are always looking down at cones when dribbling around them, and this isn't what we want them doing in the game. There are better ways that are more representative of what happens in the real world. In my opinion, there's a clear analog for climbing in the form of the mirrored symmetrical systems board that's set like a ladder with all of the same pinches or crimps or pockets or whatever. That's removing any decision-making from the equation. Now, there is a use for these type of boards. I'm not saying they're useless, and we'll talk more about that shortly, but they're not good for learning how to move and for improving your movement skills. We talked about the information processing idea. You can
0: break things apart and take them out of right. context. Like, obviously, you need to make it easier some way. <laughs> if it's yeah. a new person, you can't just throw them. Um, but the, the, the preferred kind of approach and ecological approach is just scaling things down, right? So let's mm-hmm. put the holds closer together, make them bigger, you know, make it less steep. We're still keeping them in context in, you know, when they have to pick up information, but we're just simplifying
1: the things by lowering that kind of demands. You just did a really great job of explaining how climbing should work, even though you don't know a ton about it. That <laughs> was, that was great. Um, can we talk a little bit before, I know you have to go soon. Um, let's talk about how coaching looks in the ecological framework, specifically the constraints led approach and uh, perception action coupling I would love to dig into those things a little bit.
0: Yeah. So I think there's a, you know, there's this fundamental shift in the, the, the way we coach when we, we drop the, the traditional kind of old is that the coach is the instructor, right? I come to you cause you're going to tell me how to climb. <laughs> you're going to mm-hmm. tell me what I need to do to get up that. So I, I'm going to, the coach knows the answer. The coach is there to give you the solutions. Um, to in the ecological approach that we start with I don't know I don't know the best way for you to get up the um even if I did I can't really tell you <laughs> I can't right. tell you if I told you you need to have a 90 degree 45 degree knee angle you can't bring that on board in any meaningful way so I start with the idea I don't really know what will work exactly for you so I need to be more of a designer I need to instead of giving you solutions I'm going to give you problems right mm. and I'm going to give you different holds and different angles and different, you know, and I'm going to kind of let you self-organize and find the solution. But also critically, and I think this is the misunderstanding people have, I'm also going to be your guide, right? Right. If you're doing something that's not working well, I'm going to say, maybe let's try either by changing the constraints or giving a cue or instruction, which is a type of, I'm going to like, here, how about try this? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's not, it's not just completely hands off coaching. So it's not just, oh, I'm going to get there before you design the holds in certain positions and just let you do anything. I, I'm going to step in and, and guide you a little bit too. But I'm, but I'm not critically, I'm not going to try to tell you the answers of, of how to do it. Yeah.
1: Climbing is notoriously bad at that. Um, coaches and climbers alike we call it beta when there's a you know a specific movement that will work in this scenario and i very often see coaches talking to their athletes and and just giving beta just Mm -hmm. saying oh put your foot there put your foot there you know do this with your hips and just handing out the answers to the climbers instead of creating some constraint that's going to help them find that position on their own yeah um randy sullivan
0: who's my uh, colleague in baseball i just was at the conference he calls it uh twit coaching uh twit tell, coaching tell the athlete <laughs> what to do watch them do it inform them what they did wrong and tell them again <laughs> he says he's a reformed <laughs> twit <laughs> coach. yeah yeah it is very you know it is yeah, you know, it's funny because every sport I talk with and everything says our our sport's terrible for this. <laughs> we do it. Yeah, everyone thinks their sport is the worst for. You know, but it's true. I'm my my kids are taking tennis now, and I, oh my god, I have to bite my tongue <laughs> while well, they work spend twenty five minutes on working on forehands into empty court. Uh, you know, with you know, get your hand higher. You know, okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they, you know, they, they want to play in a tournament and they struggle because they don't know how to win a point. They yeah. know how to do a technically proficient forehand, sort of, but they don't know how to move their opponent around and hit the ball into open space, right? And change right, the depth. Right. Like they've not learned none of that. So do you just hand the coaches your book? Yeah, I see. Just, you know, <laughs> I think at the end, though. <laughs> but yeah. No. So it, it is, it is very. Um, Kind of, that's the way we do, we know that we, we, everyone thinks how you learn, right? Mm -hmm. um, You know, someone has to tell you how to do it and then you just, you keep repeating
1: it until you get it down, you know, and then you get, you know. Yeah, I, you know, something I realized when I was creating this coaching course just recently is I, even though my methods have been largely on the ecological side of things for a long time. I would always ask people, uh, other coaches when I was doing workshops, when is it okay to to give beta? There are some scenarios where you're going to have to give beta. When is it? And every time it would come up, you know, well, what if they've never seen that technique before? They've never heard of that technique before. If it's a drop knee, for instance, they don't know what a drop knee is. So I have to tell them, here's what a drop knee is. This is where it works. And I would always agree, like, yeah, if they don't know what it is, they can't know but in reality i can put constraints in place that put them into that position that help them find that as the solution for this problem that i'm handing them because that's what happened the first time you know the first person to do a drop knee didn't know what a drop knee was you know it wasn't even named that at that time <laughs> yes, so good it wasn't a thing Really quick here, I wanted to give you an example that you'll all likely understand. If you have kids, you've probably seen them climb up a doorway or you did it yourself as a kid. They are stemming and pressing in opposition and locking in their upper body to move their lower body and then vice versa. Nobody told them how to do that or what those techniques were called. And if you watch as they get taller and the doorway size doesn't change, the stemming gets harder and harder as their legs get longer and a new solution will emerge. They'll drop a knee in to get a better angle between the bottom of their foot and the doorframe. I've been watching my 18-month-old learn to mantle onto the couch or the bed or different chairs, and I didn't tell her it was called a mantle or a heel hook, but she's doing textbook versions of them. When she doesn't have a side pull available, like inside of a couch cushion, she flips her hand and pushes exactly how a book would teach you to mantle. But nobody had to give her explicit instructions that were named heel hook or mantle or drop knee in the case of climbing up a door frame. Those solutions emerged as a result of the changing constraints in the environment.
0: Yeah. No, and the word, you know, the word we like to use is emerge, right? Right. If you, the environment, you need that to do your goal, it will emerge, right? Um, and maybe not always, and maybe not quick, and I mean, not quickly, and, maybe, you know, but I would much rather, instead of spending like all this time preloading this fundamental and then letting right. you climb, put you on the constraint that kind of requires, you know, as, invites that. And if then, you'll see that I'm sure you've seen it It will just emerge on its own or if it doesn't then you can start helping with a instruction or a different constraint or something instead of assuming we got to preload everything uh, before right. we let people
1: actually do the skill itself yeah and just just for people listening who are climbers um, a really simple way to look at this is I've been using the you know the example of a drop knee, which is a, a technique, Rob, that turns one side of your your hip into the wall and allows you to reach further. Essentially, okay. Um, and a, a good constraint to put into place is just, you know, you have these holds to work with. You have to keep your arms straight, and I want you to try to reach further. Mm-hmm. And and pretty simply, the climber will figure out how to turn that hip in so that they can reach further Um, so that's a really simple way to get them to do it instead of saying oh well do this that's going Mm -hmm. to allow you to reach further now i wish i'd used a better example here but it is what it is i'm not saying that straight arms is some kind of rule in climbing that's silly you can't show me a single climbing video where climbers don't bend their arms We need to throw that rule out entirely. However, in this example, I'm putting straight arms in as a constraint. So if someone always climbs square, even when we know that turning a hip in or dropping a knee is the most efficient solution – we can add a constraint that renders their preferred solution ineffective. In this case, straight arms. And that will most often force them to manipulate their lower body to solve the move. And that solution will almost always end up with a hip turned in or a knee dropped. We could just as easily say no twisting for someone who's the opposite and they refuse to climb square and bend their arms. So we're adding in a constraint that helps them self-organize into the solution we want them to find. When they get it on their own like that,
0: and they realize it's an effective, so they're doing it because it's an effective solution to this problem you've given them. Right, right. Rather than because Chris told me to do it, <laughs> right? right, which is a much less, you know, way it's going to stay around if it's just because you told me. Whereas, mm-hmm. that's, if I actually experience it, wow. You know,
1: it's a much better way to learn it for sure. Uh, let's talk a little about perception action coupling. Your podcast is the perception and action podcast. When I first started listening, I wasn't even sure what that meant. But <laughs> now it's definitely one of the the my fundamental beliefs, uh, you know, one of the big principles that that I look at, look for in my coaching.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a basic idea that, you know our movements we make are purposeful and driven by information in our environment you know the reason i pick on you know said i like to pick on the cones right there's no in soccer there's no information from a cone right there's no reason why i should go left or right around a cone it, it's not functional movement whereas if you're defending me and you lunge at me from the right That's information for me to go left, (laughs) right? So all our movements are driven by this in climbing, like the spacing, the size of the holds, uh, you know, all the, 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 we perceive the texture of the surface, you know. And so we need that information there. We need to get this link between perceiving the world around us and moving in it. You can't. Mm -hmm. If you pull them apart, you can't really put them back together. Like just doing the technique without having it driven by information is what we, you know, kind of the traditional view. But we want to keep them coupled. (laughs) As my I end every podcast with,
1: yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I think this is a thing that that, like I mentioned earlier, climbers have tried to strip this out. Coaches have um, by building uh, training. Uh, you know, training um, apparatus that strips away a lot of the decision making and um, the the pieces that are the reasons we move the way we do. They've they've stripped it away. And while those tools can be really effective for um, strength building, you mm-hmm. know, action capacity building, mm-hmm. um, they're not particularly valuable for building skills because we are just doing these things mindlessly with no decision making whatsoever Mm -hmm. it's just here do this technique over and over and over and drill it into you yeah that happens in a lot of sports and
0: then athletes they make the wrong (laughs) you know wrong decision and we wonder why because we don't really give them any chance to know how and when and why to
1: use that right they're just being told to do this technique Okay, back to the mirrored systems board here. Sure, you can lead a climber to finding a technique on one, ideally using some constraint, but the climber won't become skillful in that technique. It's going to end up being the same move over and over and over. No further decision-making is required from the athlete. But where these boards shine is that they can be an effective way to build action capacity, strength, or power, or endurance, or mobility. Um, so, in my opinion, that type of board, the, the campus board or hit strips are popular examples, is a really poor skill building tool. But it is a decent action capacity building tool. I just posted on Instagram a couple of days ago that I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the word drills Um, Mm -hmm. i use it because i don't have a better word necessarily but we're not really drilling anything in um Mm. yeah do you have a better word (laughs) the only one that i think the preferred one a lot
0: of people use which is way more uh, is practice activity um Mm -hmm. that's what i tend to use instead but yeah drilling it comes from military right we're gonna right. drill you by having you repeat this perfectly and precisely over and over and over again, so you know that when you're in combat, it comes out perfectly, uh, the way mm-hmm. we practiced. So yes, it gives the exact wrong com- connotation for what we're going for. But yeah, it's one of those words like acquisition that's kind of it's All hard right. to get around. But yeah, I, I usually put practice activity, but
1: um, you know, I don't know of a better. <laughs>
0: and there's got to be a better word. Someone
1: needs yeah, to make a I- better
0: term. Yeah.
1: When I said it just then, I I cringed at myself for saying it, and I just don't have better (laughs) language for it.
0: I I do it all
1: the time, too. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm going to give you, I'm just curious um, how this fits into what we've been talking about. So, climbers can, the more experienced they are, the better they will be at walking up to a particular climb recognizing the relationship between the holds that they have available and then picking out what techniques they're going to use you know Mm -hmm. they can say oh i see a knee bar here i see uh, a drop knee here i see a heel hook there Um, and that's how those moves are going to work Um, and i think climbers that's one of the the ways we get stuck in the information processing idea is we're able to stand down there and name it as if we're mm-hmm. pulling that technique out of our rolodex. So I'm curious how you explain that sort of a skill. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's
0: is, you know this kind of route previewing, you know, that people yeah. do in skiing, race car yep. driving is a is a difficult one to to understand and ecological approach, you know, uh, you know, an ecological approach, we would say, you know, you're using, you're picking up information from the, obviously by scanning the, and you're, you're perceiving kind of a, the affordances, what it, it offers to you. Um, in general, I, th- you know, um, I think in, in the ecological approach, we'd, we'd say you're perceiving opportunities for action. You know, I can climb, I can go over there. I can go up there. I can go through here. Without, in general, we would not want to say by doing it this way, <laughs> right? right. The, the the actual technique um, involved. Um,
1: so that's kind of like a little bit,
0: you know. We don't usually think about it that way. Um,
1: yeah, I th- I think that's where we get stuck. Is that yeah. the that's sort of the paradigm we're operating under? Yeah, you know, we.
0: So you've kind of created your own action class. That you know your own. So this affords this kind of movement. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it the same. You know, as as this affords, uh, this ball affords hitting this, uh, hitting this direction. This ball affords. You know, so it, I think it's it's similar, just kind of a different way of describing
1: it. Now, this can be confusing. I'm I'm not mad at the fact that we have names for techniques. It gives us a way to communicate about them, and frankly, it's just fun to talk that way. And we can see these techniques while standing on the ground because we recognize the patterns that afford us the opportunities to use that particular technique. And it's pretty easy for most of us to recognize that better climbers can better recognize those patterns. But it doesn't end there. It's not just a Rolodex of movements and then you apply that movement. It's not a a machine thing. It's not a robotic thing. Once we get on the climb then we are constantly picking up information from the environment and we're adapting that technique in real time. We're allowing the solution to emerge, which is self-organization, instead of trying to force the one correct way to do that technique. And in, in my opinion, this is when we're expressing skill. There are no best parameters for any given technique or skill. What's best for you will always depend on your action capabilities, your strength, mobility, endurance, etc. So technique is the name of the chosen solution. How we use it and adapt it is skill. Semantics maybe, but an important distinction when discussing how to learn it or how to coach it. And I think, you know, the the most experienced climbers um, are definitely able to take in all of the information that's happening in the environment and use it for that, mm-hmm. that purpose. Like it's, it's humid out today. I know this, you know, my experience tells me this is going to happen when it's humid or has the potential to happen. Mm-hmm. They can name all these things. But that doesn't mean that once they get up there they're actually going to use them, yeah you know i sure. I know a lot of climbers who make a plan and then get on the wall and they they just do something different on the fly because yeah. that's what the the situation afforded them,
0: yeah, and I think you know going back the key point is you know that the there's not really one knee drop like. There, you right. know, you need multiple variants of it that you're going to do when yep. you're up on the wall. So An infinite uh, number of them. Yeah. So it's, you know, I think you're setting kind of guiding your intentions. I'm, you know, I'm going you know, to intend to do this here and that there. So, um, but it is a little different than kind of the kind of in the moment, <laughs> kind of typically mm-hmm. the way we describe, you know, ecological approaches, kind of online control. I'm picking up information in the moment to control my action in the moment. I'm not planning what I'm going to do 15 minutes from now when I'm way up there. Right. right. Um, that's typically not. But I think so. So it is a little bit different for sure. But it's still, you know, it's still uh, using information from the environment to kind of guide your, you know, it's more like goal setting and intention setting than kind of controlling mm-hmm. the action. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, like I said, there there are a number of these like things we do that it's this, this just the paradigm we mm-hmm. understand, um, and it makes it tough to translate it into how does this fit in this ecological framework. But certainly, so far, um, you know, having been at this for a couple of years at this point, trying to understand the ecological side of things and fit. What I've been doing into it, I've gotten a lot of help from your book, from your podcast, from talking with you. I, I think it's, I have to be patient. And, you know, if something doesn't fit, I, I just wait. And eventually you put out a <laughs> podcast episode that explains it for me. So I, I appreciate that and all of your, your wisdom hugely.
0: Oh, thanks, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I think in the areas where, it, and I get this from all, all sports and areas I work in where coaches are like, yeah, I, but it doesn't quite, you know, I it doesn't quite jibe with this and they're kind of exploring it. And I think that's really interesting part of it. Right. Understanding, you know, these kind of areas where it, oh, it doesn't quite fit with what I, the way I think. So it's very interesting to me. <laughs>
1: Well, Rob, I, I appreciate you being here and taking all this time out to do it. Uh, Rob's book is How We Learn to Move, A Revolution in the Way We Coach and Practice Sports Skills. And I think it's a really easy to understand, great place to start. I think you achieved the things that you were, were talking about in that episode 14 way back that you want to make this stuff <laughs> easier for practitioners. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. Yeah. Big thanks to Rob Gray for talking with me and for all of the work he does to help coaches and athletes. It really is invaluable. You can find more from him at perceptionaction.com. And like I said in the intro, you should absolutely be checking out the Perception and Action podcast. At the link in your show notes, you'll find all of the things we mentioned in this episode. Uh, Rob's two excellent books, my coaching for mastery course that attempts to relate these theories to coaching climbers, as well as how you can connect directly with Rob or dig deeper into his work. And if you're a coach, you should do that. And you all know where to find us. PowerCompanyClimbing.com. Learn. Grow. Excel.